Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or the SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Tuesday, June 6th, and today I'm joined by Colonel Rose Caravori, a distance education student here at the Army War College. Rose and her peers have just completed a major research study here at the War College under the direction of my SSI colleague, Dr. Tony Echeverria, on whether the U.S. Army is prepared for a great power war. Specifically, the research team has spent the last nine months examining issues surrounding the expansibility of the Army in the event of a great power war involving the United States. The listeners will know this is the latest in a series of podcasts on the interdisciplinary student-faculty research team led by Dr. Echeverria. Now, Rose is part of the project focused specifically on military intelligence, and I've asked her to join us today to discuss that. Rose, welcome. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for having me. Now, Rose, as I mentioned, you are a distance education student at the War College, and you were the only member of the this research team that is a distance education student, what we call a DDE student, not a resident student in Carlisle. Let me first ask you about uh, how that how you fit into the team and, and what that dynamic was like and, and what the benefits were of having you on that team. Yes, that's correct. So I was the only distance education student as part of this group of resident students and part of this integrated research project. Um, and it was certainly challenging at times due to travel, but it was certainly a wonderful experience to have. You know, I was able to bring my current thinking from my current position at a four-star level headquarters, specifically CENTCOM, to the team and to the project. And I think I was able to glean lessons from the resident students in terms of the speakers that they had, their day-to-day academic discussions, and I brought my sort of current day-to-day operations to bear to the students. So really, it was mutually beneficial to both sides, as I think the best description is we are merging the field and academia together for this project. Well, let me ask you now to tell us a bit more about your specific to- uh, your specific topic, military intelligence. How did that fit into the broader project? My topic was a deep dive into military intelligence. There were two deep dives. There was soft and military intelligence. And I decided to specifically tackle the topic of how expansible is MI in support of an army potentially double its current size in a great power war. And I did this uh, personally, because I was, I've been an MI officer for 20 years now, and just thinking through what I'm doing day to day, my current position, my current job at CENTCOM, and what that meant in terms of MI operations in the last decade and just historically. So it was uh, certainly a very interesting research topic, and we each took from each other. Rose, can you now walk us through what some of the main takeaways were from your research effort? What did your analysis show? Well, as with any branch, expanding, expanding the MI core poses a difficult, complex challenge. So we all, each branch would have that. But what's different about MI is that we're really fortunate, I would say even more so than other branches, that we could draw resources from what's called a larger intelligence federation. And the joint staff really describes a federation as an agreement from one joint intel center to uh, receiving coordinated intelligence support from another joint intelligence center or service intelligence center or a national agency. And really, you have an intelligence community as a whole that is robust and would have an expanding role in the great power war. And you've seen the development of the intelligence community since 9-11 in terms of sharing information, its expansion, and really roles 
defined by the agency and units themselves. Rose, I understand you came across three significant hurdles on the path to MI expanding in the event of a great power war. Can you address those for us? MI leaders repeatedly mentioned three specific areas, and I think because of just the frustrations over the last uh, decade and a half, uh, the first three are really a shortage of what's called ISR, and that's airborne intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Secondly, limited PED processing, and PED is the, the processing, exploitation, and dissemination of information. And lastly, not having enough counterintelligence and human intelligence capacity. So really with ISR today, everyone wants to be able to see what the enemy is doing uh, and not having enough assets to fly over either with UAVs sort of frustrates commanders on the ground uh, and not getting an, a good intelligence picture. And then PED, we have so much raw data coming in now, not having um, the people or the technology to take you know, the tons of metadata um, of that in raw data and to be able to convert it into intelligence is also another frustrating factor. Um, and then lastly, really developing the human capacity that simply takes time. And so what I really learned from these senior leaders was the need to prioritize and rank the MI specialties from what's hard to get and hard to develop in terms of the depth, the complexity, the training needed certification against those that are a little bit faster or take what I would call, you know, in quotes, less skill, um, and really develop a pipeline of trained people. And what I found is you can't really take someone off the street and have them become a human, uh, humanter or counterintelligence person. It really takes time to develop your SIGINT analyst, your cyber analyst, your human and counterintelligence analyst. And really what that means is tr training is a choke point. We really need to get creative on how to expand training and how to develop these particular analysts thoroughly yet quickly. And there's a really, there is a role for technology to play here. Uh, I don't think we could ever, or should we take people out of the intelligence loop, but sorting through all of that raw data that I'd mentioned previously with technology can certainly increase our throughput. Uh, another find um, was that synchronizing intelligence plans is essential. And at the beginning of 9-11, you really had disparate intelligence agencies operating throughout the battlefield along with tactical and operational units, and everyone was sort of duplicating efforts. So what we found is synchronizing intelligence plans helps us not duplicate collection and analytical efforts. So at every level, whether it's tactical, operational, and strategic. And lastly, uh, my paper brings up the use of pre-positioned forward-based facilities. So there is the potentiality they may be targets for kinetic strikes, but having these forward deployed hardened structures with the right communication servers and systems really comes in handy when we need to make strategic use of them. So you could really have sort of a jump team, uh, an interagency team that could go to this hardened structure and get set up quickly and start doing the analysis and fusion that they need to be doing. And Rose, before we get to your recommendations, I want to I want to go back to something you just mentioned. One of these consistent themes that you've come up with in your analysis is 
the fact that there are hurdles to be overcome or perhaps obstacles in terms of sufficiently well-trained human resources. But we're talking about the active component for the most part, I think, to this point. What did you find with regard to the role of the guard or contractors in terms of how they might help to overcome some of these shortcomings you've identified? So they are definitely a plus in the MI field. Uh, The Reserve and the National Guard today play a huge role in operational level intelligence support. And what I found in my research and my interviews was really that they would just increase their capacity. So MI reserve capacity, uh, if you look at the role of the Merc today, which is the Military Intelligence Readiness Command, they would not double, but they would add two extra brigades to, to their structure. And if they were added in the planning of uh, major combatant command, it would account for them in terms of the tipsid or what they would need to use to deploy forward to full-scale conflict. And likewise, the National Guard really provides uh, at all levels strategic, operational, tactical support uh, to military intelligence, and they would fully mobilize to increase semi-support. I think for them, there's more of a domestic role should there be a need for CONUS homeland defense, homeland security, but that can easily shift to FBI and sort of homeland structures, and they can move forward and mobilize once those homeland security requirements are met. In terms of contractors, it's really astounding to find that the intelligence community is 183,000 strong, and contractors make up 32% of that, or 58,000. Bringing people on board, either as a civilian or as a contractor, is, is... easier rather than bringing everyone on board to the military. And I say that because coming on board to the military in time of a great power war means you need to pass the physical and health standards. And it's really a laborious process to bring people on into the military. But you don't necessarily have to do that with MI. You could specifically make some of these contractors and civilians uh, the reach back support in the in Washington, D.C. And that has other advantages where it it frees up the military or military personnel to the fighting force level. And also contractors and contracting companies have in the last decade and a half really proven their worth in terms of surging on short fuse taskers on developing the technology and technological solutions that I mentioned before in terms of our PED, uh, PED choke points and really finding future solutions and tech where that's needed. You know, and one thing that I found in my paper as well is that there is certainly a role for our coalition partners. And historically, we've had challenges in sharing intelligence information with coalition partners. But what I've seen uh, and what my research shows in the last decade and a half is that we've really made strides in this. So what I found in my research is that we need to really rely more on our coalition partners. They provide the needed context based on where we're deployed since typically they know their backyard better than we do. Uh, And so what I've seen is we've taken strides to share more information and set up the networks before they're they're even needed. So that's been helpful. Rose, my last question for you now. What do you think were the main conclusions or some of the recommendations you drew from this uh, pretty significant research effort you were able to engage in? I would say overall, uh, I believe there are challenges for us to expand MNI Great Power War. But we've dealt with many of these issues in the last decade and a half since 9-11. 
And we've had more practice in exercising the Intelligence Federation, in synchronizing and deconflicting among the intelligence community, which is all the agencies and tactical and operational units on the ground, and really fully utilizing the Reserve and National Guard. So we've made headway in surging contractors, um, in developing networks with our coalition partners, and really expanding the civilian footprint. So I think we're able to leverage an intelligence federation quickly to expand MI capacity in a great power war. Colonel Rose Caravori, one of the research and writing team members on the forthcoming War College study on Great Power War, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your research. Thank you, John, for having me. Listeners, if you'd like to read the study on Great Power War, check out the SSI website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu, where it'll be published early this month and available to download for free. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. Again, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.